Thank you, Wade. Well, if you were with us last week, it was quite a Sunday to kick off the fall and, and to install myself. Um, the downside of that installation means that you're stuck with me. So I hope you learn to like me uh, in light of that, and I'll do the same. Because I'm stuck with you as well, but that's good. I hope that's, a, hope that's an encouragement to you as, at this time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today we're going to see how Saul's encounter with Christ brings not only transformation, but proclamation, but also persecution. God can turn the most hardened heart and use it for his purposes. It's been many weeks since we've been in the book of Acts, uh, and I trust that you enjoyed the summer tour of the parables, and I hope it was beneficial to you and helped you understand Jesus and his teaching just a little bit more. Pastor Dave had taken you up through Saul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and remember, Saul was headed there to capture these early followers of Jesus and bring them in chains to Jerusalem. Saul's knowledge of the Torah, of Mosaic law, and his training as a Pharisee drove him to be very passionate about shutting down this Jesus movement. He wholeheartedly believed this was wrong and he was going to do something about it. He certainly considered the disciples and the apostles to be enemies of his faith. Later on, he writes to the Christians in Philippi, and he shares what his resume was. Look with me at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. So though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul was a Hebrew Pharisee raised in Hellenist Tarsus. He knew the Hebrew tradition. He knew Greek culture. He studied under Gamaliel. He knew Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And he was zealous on his... Uh, mission to stop the heresy, or so he thought it was. Remember, to accomplish this, he decided he needed to further authorize his mission to, to stop the spread of this gospel. He, he wanted to go and, and get that letter to support his mission so that he could go to the leaders and to the priests everywhere and have them know that he was on a mission backed by the, holy, or by the high priest. I want you to consider now for a minute the pride of Saul. To, to make a move like this, to, to be able to go to the high priest and say, obviously they are wrong. They're heretics. I know it. You know it. Authorize me. Let me go and take care of this. Let me stop this. You know how it can be when, when someone becomes very convinced they're right and become very dogmatic and even passionate about it. 
You know people like that? Maybe you're one of those people. You have that temperament and you get wired up and if something is, is wrong or you know it's wrong or you believe it's wrong, you, you will get real intense about it. Think about any occasion where we see protesters. I mean, protesters are going out there because they see that something is wrong and they want to change it. Or to go to a picket line and carry the sign and, and be willing to take whatever grief for doing it. It's because you believe it or because you really endorse it. We see it with political ideals, right? People get very loud about it, very outspoken. We see it with religious ideas and ideals as well. He, he was bold about it. And you know the rest of Saul's story, right? He's blinded by the light. And he hears Jesus Ask, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's an interesting question. Why does, why does Jesus accuse Saul of this? I mean, is Jesus not ascended to the Father? I mean, how is he being persecuted by Saul? Look with me at John 15 for a moment, verse 18. I think we get a clue here. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. There's this close alignment between those who are of Jesus and Jesus himself. And here, just even in that question, he says, why are you persecuting me? If you're going after my church, you're going after me. So I'm Jesus who you, whom you are persecuting. And then it was, you say, rise and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Here is this prideful, determined man now humbly being led by the hand into Damascus. Not quite so bold now, is he? Not quite so sure of himself. Now a captive of Christ. The once prideful and self-confident Saul is now a pitiful sight. Stunned, confused, and in need of assistance. Look with me now at our central text in, in Acts chapter 9. We'll start in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. 
And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is not a task that Ananias wants. We read later in Acts chapter 22, we read about Ananias, that he was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by the Jews living there. And I would suggest possibly a big target for Saul. It's like asking a large buck to go and make peace with a man up in a tree stand wearing camo and holding a long gun. It's not a good idea. And he sees it. And certainly, Ananias has the thought, I think it's better if Saul remains blind. It'll be easier to run from him or hide from him. Throughout Scripture, we find those who have been given unpleasant tasks by God. Moses has to lead those moody Israelites. Elijah has to be alone and then go up against such evil rulers. Ezekiel gets to have all kinds of weird fun, doesn't he? Daniel chills with the lions. Mary gets to be judged for being mysteriously pregnant. And Ananias gets to go deal with the Christian hunter. Ananias knew about Saul and his ways, but the Lord assures him that he has big plans for Saul, a chosen vessel. A chosen vessel. But that's going to require transformation and redirection. It's worth noting that Ananias does not get extended details from the Lord. He doesn't get the full plan, the exhaustive explanation of what's going to happen. So now one of the ones that Saul was likely targeting to take captive will have to go and rescue Saul himself. I find verse 16 fascinating, perhaps you do too. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. It's like the Lord tells Ananias, Saul's not getting away with what he's done. There will be retribution. But as I say that, I want to caution you from that thought. We might be tempted to surmise that, okay, so therefore Saul did this, he's going to get the punishment. You and I understand grace, don't we? So it's an interesting statement. I think it has a little bit more to do with the fact that that Saul's going to be so bold in his proclamation of Christ. And that will bring persecution. Ananias goes to Saul. Imagine how amazing it was for Ananias to encounter Saul praying. But also get to be the one to restore his sight and give him the Holy Spirit. I mean, certainly it was a great test of Ananias' faith, wasn't it, for him to do that? Yet he obeys. Saul feels hands gently placed upon his shoulders. And he hears kind and generous words, maybe spoken in a nervous voice with a little bit of cracking. Brother Saul. Brother Saul, how powerful can our words be? 
Certainly they can be powerful to bring destruction or or to, to breed hate. But here we have him coming with these kind words of saying, listen, we're together, brother Saul. Saul knew that he was perceived as the enemy. And yet Ananias comes with these kind words. And he says, listen, the same Jesus who encountered you on the road, he's the one who sent me. And I'm here so that you may regain your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Can I just remind you again, it's a scriptural truth and you know it. Faith is not to be separate from action. Faith is not to be separate from action. James 1 I'd suggest to you today that it was highly likely that up to this point, Ananias had been praying for protection. Again, I can't prove it, but I I would think that if they're under this kind of persecution, he's praying for protection, praying for threats like Saul, protection from Saul. And God's answer to him is, go to him. I want you to think about that for a minute. You're praying for protection from threats like Saul, and God's answer is, go to him headlong into it. Yet Ananias' obedience allows him to become Saul's answer to prayer, who literally walks into the room. Answered prayer on legs. Yes, no doubt he was a bit frightened, but he was able to be used by God to do the miraculous. Our own faith can become quite flat when we seek and desire comfort and protection more than we seek and desire his will and power. I want you to think about that for a minute and think about it in light of what you pray for. Our own faith can become quite flat when we seek and desire comfort and protection more than we seek and desire his will and his power. Scales fall from Saul's eyes, his vision is restored, and he has now the indwelling spirit of the living God. He's baptized and he eats for the first time in three days. He's transformed. I want you to imagine what this was like for Ananias. Just think about that. Having gotten over his fears and having walked over to that street called Straight and and having all that anxiety with him as he's going, but he's like, okay, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'm going to do it. And he he gets there and and then to find us all in this position and and to to call him brother and to lay his hands on him and and then to see him have his sight and, and the Spirit of God and then him follow the Lord in baptism. And then for them to eat together. But now think about it in light of being Saul. Imagine all that he's gone through. He has this encounter with Christ. He's blinded and, and now he's, he's just praying and he's seeking God. He's like, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on here, but I, I need an answer. And then his answer walks in and lays hands on him and calls him brother. I want you to think about it. Could, how could any doubt remain in either of their hearts about who God is? He's moving mightily in their midst. Look at verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? 
And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul goes from an enemy of Christ to one who boldly proclaims Christ as Lord. I want you to allow this to become personal here for a minute. And I want you to think for a minute about those who you've encountered, or maybe those you know of, who are very oppositional to faith, faith in Christ. Those who are very quick to criticize Scripture and try to pick it apart or make fun of it. Those who criticize Christians. Do they, do they make you feel defensive? even irritated? In those moments, do we consider God's power and consider what God can do? In my lifetime, there have been many, many different people that have made me think about how amazing it would be if they encountered Christ. I don't want to list any names for a few reasons, but I remember thinking about how they were obnoxious and they were bold or they were boisterous. And I remember thinking, man, if they could only just be that way for Christ. And, and I'd start to dream about how powerful their conversions could be and, and begin to pray for these people. Asking the Holy Spirit to pursue them. Asking God to do what only he can do. What a neat way to pray and what a great way to kind of hold back our, our frustrations or our even anger or dislike for people like this. Because understand that's basically what happened here. A loud and powerful enemy of Christians is brought to life-changing faith in Christ. Who knows, maybe they were praying for Saul. So here are all these people in Damascus, in the synagogues, now hearing Saul powerfully proclaim Christ as the risen Messiah. This is certainly not the same guy everybody was fleeing from, everybody was afraid of, right? Here's Saul, this former enemy of Christ, now being used mightily by him. And he's confounding the Jews, proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Can you imagine it? They, they would have made their arguments based upon their interpretation of the Old Testament. And here he is, so well, so well educated and so understanding, and now having encountered Christ personally. And it's amazing. Because now all of that that he had studied, all that that he would learned, it all makes sense now in the light of Christ being the Messiah. And Saul is powerfully used by the Holy Spirit. We can speculate that he was just really eager to proclaim Christ, and maybe that he wants to make up for the wrong that he had done. Maybe he's thinking of Stephen and some of the others. But he's doing it powerfully. And I, I read this verse to begin with, and I'll bring it to you again. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember, that's how Acts starts out. 
And here he is empowered by the Spirit of God and impassioned by the way he had lived and, and the knowledge that he had. And it's all coming together now. And he's being used mightily. Before we read the next verse, I want to point out that it says at the beginning of 23, it says, when many days had passed. Now, I focus on that for a second because there's some confusion and some uncertainty as to the chronology of Saul's travels. Look with me at, at Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. There he writes, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. There's some debate, there's some misunderstanding or confusion as it relates to, if we read directly in this passage in, in Acts, we think, okay, he just did this and this and this, but then we read a little bit more detail as he writes to the church, uh, the, to the Galatian church. He goes into Arabia for a period of time. It's very likely, uh, maybe may a reference there, we find it where it says many days had passed. And then it would seem he goes back to Damascus. And then we'll read here in 24 and 25 that he then has to escape Damascus because of persecution. And within that, we're going to read the words, his disciples. His disciples help him escape. And that suggests that there had been some time for him to raise up disciples to follow him in his pursuit of Christ. And after th three years, we read there in Galatians 1, heading to Jerusalem. So possibly three years after encountering Christ, goes to Caesarea, and then he goes later on to Tarsus, and we believe that to be about a decade of time. I just take that divergence quick just to just to address it, but also to understand that no matter what the exact timeline or travel was, Saul has a season where he's getting to know Christ better. He's being prepared for ministry. And as eager as he was to proclaim Christ, he obviously was in need of time to study, to process, and to learn Christ. Now let's read that passage. Look at verse 23 with me. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. But they did not believe for they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, and they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. In walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Dr. Toussaint said, Saul's plans for persecuting the church in Damascus took a strange turn. He entered the city blind and left in a basket. Ironically, he became the object of persecution. He's transformed by encountering Christ, and he proclaims him boldly. And now persecution has come. Remember the Lord telling Ananias about suffering? He's already encountering this persecution, but it's more than just that. I mean, he boldly proclaims Christ. And when we do that, it puts Christians at risk of persecution. You see, the world leaves the Christian alone when, it, when he follows the world's way. It's okay then. Like what we read in, in John 15. If you're of the world, it wouldn't be a problem. But when we proclaim Christ, we face opposition. I would suggest to you that it's been easier in past decades here in America to proclaim Christ, to stand on the Word of God and and to, to hold it up as holy and right. Not so much now, is it? And and folks, I believe that we are trending rapidly toward persecution. I think these days are coming. And there'll be a chance when it'll be easy to see the difference between someone who claims Christ and the Word of God and someone who doesn't. You know, for a season, being a Christian nation, right, you could just kind of blend in. But I think the times are changing, and they're changing rapidly. But there'll be a chance to boldly stand up for Christ. But there'll be a risk, won't there? Take special note of what happens in Jerusalem. The Christians are doubtful, and they're scared. But Barnabas brought Saul in before him and advocated for him. The Lord knew that Saul needed an advocate. Saul needed a friend. Someone who who would risk their own reputation to stand in the gap. Someone to verify the testimony, to tell the story. Someone that they trusted. But notice what it it leads to. So Paul goes in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. The Lord prompts Barnabas to advocate for Saul and now Saul has access and he's moving around and he's proclaiming Christ. Even to the point where he's facing Hellenist opposition. (laughs) So much so that it's time to get him out of there. Time to protect him. But the report is incredible in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had a peace and was being built up. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of what? Walking in the fear of opposition? Walking in the fear of someone not liking them? Walking in the fear that that somebody might say you're wrong? Walking in the fear of persecution? No. In the church, walking in the fear of the Lord. Understanding was, there's only so much that man can do to me, but the Lord is the ultimate one. And we move forward in the fear of wanting to please him, wanting to honor him, holding him as worthy, 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 as we just sang. If he says it and, and if his word is true, then we will proclaim it. And that's what we're not going to worry about being in fear of what man can do. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples when he was preparing to leave them? The Spirit's coming. He'll be with you and guide you and comfort you. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. God did what only he can do. The church multiplied. Saul's life is transformed and redirected, isn't it? And God does his mighty work. I have a couple points for you just to take with you as I wrap up. Our life redirected begins when we encounter Jesus. Because that's where transformation happens. Our redirected life begins when we encounter Jesus. The Lord can redeem anyone, no matter what their past may be. Do you believe that? I hope you do. And a personal question, are you willing to follow Jesus, even if it means sacrifice or suffering? Where's your fear? Are you comforted by the spirit of the living God residing in you because of your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb?